Okay, so uh, today, uh, we've been in the series, Spiritual Gifts. Um, it's been a very cool series, um, and I've been excited to see how God has been working within our whanau here um, at CBC, and uh, what he is going to continue to do within this community. Uh, we serve an eternal God um, who is, like, there's no, like, coming to an end of him, uh, and so like we were um, singing this morning, praise God from whom all blessings flow. As Ephesians 1 says, you know, we've been blessed um, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Um, and this is the God we serve. This is the God that we honor. This is the God that loves us. And I think that that's really what I want to settle into this morning. This is the God who loves us. And so breathe in. Breathe out. We serve a God who loves us more than we'll ever know. And if there is anything um, that we walk away from this morning, it is his love. We need to know his love. We need to sit in his love. We need to place ourselves into postures of receiving his love so that we would be filled to overflowing, not that we would do anything in our own strength, just like we've been talking about in the Spiritual Gifts series, but in his strength that we would strive, as Paul says, like tirelessly with the energy that Christ has poured into us, his love as he fills us up to overflowing. And so I wanted to kind of preface this morning with that, and then we'll, we'll push on. Um, but this morning, uh, I don't know if you already know this, uh, but today is Trinity Sunday. How many of you know that? Put your hand up if you know that it's Trinity Sunday. Yeah? All right. So, so I'm talking to pretty much everybody here this morning. That's cool. That's great. So Trinity Sunday is the Sunday directly after Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday was last week. We celebrated the outpouring of the Holy Spirit um, and the birth of the church and some crazy things happening. Um, last Sunday was an awesome Sunday. Craig did an awesome sermon on the, the gift of singleness. If you haven't had a chance to listen to the podcast already, and if you missed it, please go and give it a listen. Um, it's, it's a great one, and I think a super relevant word to this time that we live in um, within our society here. Um, but, so the, the, the Trinity, uh, sorry, Trinity Sunday sits inside a greater calendar called the church calendar. And I love the church calendar. I don't know if you know this about me already. Christmas sits inside that church calendar. Easter sits inside that church calendar. Pentecost sits inside that church calendar. But basically, the church calendar is just a calendar where we, um, as a church globally, set time aside to recognize the different ways that God has moved throughout history and in his people. And to me, it's been like quite a cool tool to tap into in terms of being formed by Christ and understanding what I am a part of. Um, when we were in um, England uh, a couple of years ago, we were visiting friends who actually were here for a while, um, Matt and Beth Ann Sunners. Um, and they uh, are an amazing couple, and he's a pilot. He'd come over to, to train as a pilot and then go back, and now he, well, he was flying commercial jets before COVID hit. Um, we've stayed in touch with them, and we got to go over a couple of years ago and, again, just touch base and hang out, uh, spend some time with them. And one day when we were with them, they took us to uh, St. Albans Cathedral, which is in St. Albans, funny enough. Um, I know. Uh, and St. Albans Cathedral is actually the oldest cathedral and monastery in England. Um, so it is, it is a beautiful, beautiful place. Uh, and it's where, funnily enough, a guy called Alban, um, or St. Alban, uh, uh, he was martyred for his faith. Um, because he was hiding Christians um, from Vikings who were like pillaging the land. And anyway, he got dragged out and he gruesome death. 
Um, but he was doing it um, so that the church could be safe, could be protected. And so a couple of years later, some monks decided to build a church on that site and it's grown to becoming, grew to become one of the biggest cathedrals now in England. Very cool history. Um, we, when we were there, um, it's a church that's gone through like lots of changes, as you can gather, because it's, um, I think, just over a 1,000 years old. So it's a proper old church. Um, and we were there with Matt and Bethan, and they had this little, a little daughter at that time called Hallie. And she's the cutest wee thing. Um, and so, of course, you can get the guess that you're walking through this very like majestic-looking place, and everybody's you know, being very... like. Um, respectful, um, reverent of, you know, like the space that we're in. And Hallie is having the time of her life just screaming up and down the aisles. Um, and she, in this one particular place, had found like a slight ramp um, because this church, like, I mean, it's long, like really, really long. And so it was built at different stages. And I don't know who the builder was back then, but they'd got the foundation slightly out. So they built these ramps into it sort of thing because it's slightly on a lean, the whole church. Um, and Hallie was up and down the room just screaming, and, that, and Matt and Bethany are like trying to like calm her down sort of thing. And uh, uh, Bethany turns to us and said this hilarious little line that has continued to be a line in our family. She said, Hallie loves a good ramp. Um, and I thought that, that just like captured it in like such a cool way. Hallie loves a good ramp. And so now in our family, we say, Laura loves a good burger, or you know, like that kind of thing. Anyway, for me, I want to say this morning, Dave loves a good calendar. Um, funny twist on that story, when we were trying to leave the church, um, Matt and Bethan look at Hallie, and something didn't look quite right, and she was walking kind of like a bit gangster, you know, and, and we were like, what is going on? So anyway, they unzip her jacket, and she had grabbed one of the big church candles and like shoved it down her pants and so it was and zipped her jacket back up and she was trying to steal a, a candle from a church and that and Matt's just like oh delinquency has started already so anyway no nah, it was good times so um, Holy Trinity is all uh, sorry Trinity Sunday is about the, the doctrine and the theology of the Trinity. Um, something unique about this day is that it is the only day in the church calendar that um, rather than recognizing an event or a person, um, it actually celebrates and honors a, a particular piece of Christian theology. And so that's where I wanted to go this morning, the doctrine and theology of the Trinity. Because the thing about this is that it has been, I would say, quite easily the thing that has affected me most in my Christian journey. That is the thing that has formed me most in my Christian journey. Um, as I've grappled with this mystery and experience for myself, the God who um, reveals himself in the three persons of the Godhead. Now, on my last Sunday, um, I'm not going to endeavor to unpack the Trinity. One, I wouldn't do that to you guys. Two, I couldn't. Um, so you can breathe easy once again. Rather, I wanted to draw on a key piece of theology that is at its heart Trinitarian. And that is God as a community. God as a community. So by that, I'm talking about, and I'll just do a few bullet points here. When I'm talking about God as a community, I'm talking about the reality that God within himself is in perfect community. That before anything ever was, and long after anything, well, you know, however things go, um, anything shall be, God within himself is in perfect community. 
Now, it's really important to identify what we mean by perfect community. It means that he lacks nothing. And that he created things, not because he needed things, but because he is a good God. And so therefore, the overflow of his goodness, the overflow of his heart, the overflow of his love was the creation of all things. And so God within himself is a perfect community. Um, in that community, there are some things, and I'm, again, I'm not going to be able to completely unpack this. I can't, I'm only like listing a few things that I think um, have really impacted me. But within this community, there is perfect wholeness. There is perfect wholeness. God is whole within himself. Again, that leans us to the idea that God didn't create things out of need for things. You know, like often, for example, Pete, I see you. Father-in-law, he is an amazing uh, engineer and like welder and like maker of like very cool things. Pete makes things out of need. This is like there is a problem. Pete fixes the problem. Pete is very good at fixing the problem. I have experienced this myself many a time. Um, Pete often disappears to the farm because the palm, the, the palm, the farm has a problem that Pete can fix. Whereas God is not trying to fix a problem within himself. God is also not trying to fix a problem in the fact that there was nothingness. It was more just out of his goodness, out of his beauty, and out of his truth, out of who he was within perfect community, all things came to be. He created because he is a God who longs to give himself to others. And I think that that is an important thing for us as Christians this morning to sit in that truth. Because I think very easily we can come to a Sunday like any other Sunday and just show up and go, God, you know, like I'm coming to like give you a bunch of things. And yes, we are called to worship. Uh, it's, the, like the, it's the chief purpose of like kind of why we were created. But God didn't again create us so we could worship him. So that, but rather that we could enjoy him in worship. But we need to come with open hearts, open minds, open hands, postures of receiving, so that he can pour into us. Is that okay, family? Yeah? All right, cool. So um, the other thing that I would say then, what does that mean, is that uh, as Christians, this is what we're being drawn into. So yes, on Sunday... This is kind of like what we're coming into. But as Christians, this is the journey that we're being constantly drawn into, a God who longs to give himself out of his goodness, out of his wholeness, out of his perfection, out of his love, out of um, all that he is, his lack of nothing and being completely abundant within himself. The Christian journey is to experience more and more of him and what he has and what he has to give us. So this is a very big idea. I get it. And I mean, I've spent years and years grappling with, okay, what does that mean practically for me? How does that change the way I view God? What does that, um, how does that affect my beliefs about God? And all of those kind of things. But what I would really want to tap into is this. There is a deep desire in every single one of us, I think, for that, for that connection to a God who lacks nothing. There is a deep desire. And I don't know where you're at with God this morning, um, whether you know him personally or whether you don't. But I, I know, and, and Scripture says that God has placed in our hearts eternity. 
But then we need to look at the words of Jesus. And how does he define eternity? Eternity is this, that you would know me and the one who sent me. This is eternity. And so it is about relationship. It's about being drawn into the community that lacks nothing, the community of abundance and wholeness and love and perfection, that are like, and this community that is self-giving to one another. And I think, okay, so when we're created in the image of this God, and a part of that means that we get to reflect that. But we cannot be a community that is self-giving if we are not being filled by God himself. Because in of ourselves, we run out. I don't know about you, what your personal experience is, but I often run out. And so this is why this particular thing has meant a lot to me, this particular doctrine, this theology, as I've slowly unpacked it and come to experience God in three persons, the Godhead. So to understand more of like, what this means in terms of like, this deep desire within each of us, um, to live our lives with and in the community of the, the Trinity, I wanted to unpack a little, a little bit of one of my favorite passages in Scripture, and it's John chapter 15, verse 4 and 9. So it's going to come up on screen. It's also going to be in Spanish. Um, so it's going to be a little bit broken up. But we're just going to read those verses now. Is that cool, Fano? Yeah. Awesome. All right, so as I said, John chapter 15, verse 4 to 9, it says this, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is, uh, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. These verses are surrounded by Trinitarian theology. There's a bunch of chapters within John 14, 15, 16, 17, where Jesus is talking to his disciples, and there's this, this conversation going on. And... Um, and that Jesus is talking about how he has been sent by the Father, and he is going to return to the Father. And when he does, the Father is going to also send the Spirit. And so there's this like beautiful like picture that we get of a God that is working together, and in, in unison with one another, in harmony with one another, in community with one another. And there is this desire to serve both one another. And guess what? We are the beneficiaries of that, as God the Father sends His Son to come to this earth to do what only he could do so that we could be brought back into relationship with the God of the universe. And then when Jesus heads back, when he ascends back into heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit. He is, we are not left alone. But he pours his spirit out upon the church and he continues to pour his spirit out upon the church and he continues to desire to pour his spirit out upon his church. Do you get that, family? We are being brought into something so much bigger than ourselves. And it is a community that is perfect and loving and whole and self-giving. And we need to receive these things. Family, again, we need to put ourselves daily, moment by moment, into postures of receiving so that we can be filled with the God who longs to give himself. 
these verses um, that we read are about a kind of life, or the kind of life, should I say, intended for us as Jesus followers. A life where we're connected to, resourced by, and living with and in community with the Trinity. Um, In the passage we read, there is a repeated word and phrase that I want to focus on. Did any of you pick up that repeated word or phrase? Yeah, abide. Some translations say abide. In the NIV, it was, starts with R. Woo! Nailed it, guys. Clearly listening. So, some, some translations say abide, some translations say remain. It is the same word in the Greek, and the Greek word is meno, and it's just going to come up on screen here. And it means to stay. <laughs> to stay. Abide. Remain. And... The, the, the picture that it's giving here in terms of like, so this is just like Strong's, like the, just the, the brief definition of it. But as scholars and theologians have continued to unpack this word, um, it paints this picture of um, to dwell with or to set up home. To dwell with or to set up home. And so I wanted this morning uh, to read, uh, because I think it captures this idea so, like, so well um, from the message translation, um, where Eugene Peterson, when he was wrestling with the word, and I can't rem- exactly remember it wa- where it was, but it, like, he does these videos where he's, he talks about where he um, is trying to wrestle with particular words. And this was one of those passages where he was like, how can I best capture it in modern English so that the modern English reader can understand a little bit more of it? Now, I don't know where you're at in terms of like, with this particular like, translation, but I think that Eugene does a great job at capturing it. And so I'm going to read from verse again, and we're just going to read it and let that speak to us. It says this, live in me. Live in me. So we remain in me, abide, live in me. Make your home in me just as I do in you. How beautiful is that thought? Make your home in me just as I do. Notice the correlation between those two things. That we, in response, get to make home our home in God within the community of the Trinity because he has made his home in us. How good is that thought? So in the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you're joined with me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation, intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates me from me is deadwood, gathered up and thrown on the bonfire. But if you make yourselves at home with me and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened and acted upon. This is how my Father shows who he is. When you produce grapes, when you, oh, sorry, when you mature as my disciples, I've loved you the way my Father has loved me. That is a crazy thought right there. I have loved you, Uh, The way my Father has loved me, make yourselves at home in my love. So I want to unpack this word just a little bit more. And so as I was doing some research, doing some study, um, I went to Thayer's Greek lexicon, which is like another source of where they kind of like um, expand on like the original Greek meanings. And so this is going to come up on screen again. So Thayer's Greek lexicon, when it was talking about the word abiding or remaining or dwelling in or setting up home, it says this, not to depart, not to leave. 
uh, to continue to be present. And so there are two things that I want to draw out there. Not, it's this idea of not leaving home. So the first two ones that we, we see, not to depart, not to leave, it's not to leave home. But then the flip side of that is not just the fact that, like, as teenagers, it's very easy to be at home but not be at home. Anybody understand what I'm saying there? Yeah. I mean, I'm not a teenager anymore, but I understand what that was like for my parents. Peace be with you, mum and dad. Um, uh, it's very easy to, like, be at home and not be at home. And so I think this is and a really important thing for us as Christians to note, to pick up on, and to lean in to, that it's not just don't depart and don't leave in terms of you're 40 years old and you're still living with your mum and dad kind of thing, but it's this, to continue to be present, to be present to God. To be present to God as he is present to us. Now, there is actually a difference there because I believe in an omnipresent God who is everywhere. I can't escape his presence. The psalmist says, if I go down to the depths, you know, or if I go to the highest heights, where can I go that you are not? But at the same time, it doesn't mean that I am present with God. He is present with me. Am I present to him? And this is the idea of dwelling, to set up home, to become family with the living God who is three persons in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who lacks no thing. And out of his goodness, his abundance and love, he longs to pour into us. Are you with me, family? Yeah? Awesome. Cool. So, to be honest with you, now this is getting honest. Um, this is often not my reality. Is it okay to say that? It's not often my reality. As Christians, we need to ask, what is stopping me living and experiencing a life with God? Where is the interference? And what is creating the resistance in me? Because I think there are two things going on. There's interference, there's the external things in, in life <laughs> everything that surrounds us. I mean, we know how like, crazy life can be. We were literally praying about it this morning. So there's this interference, this thing that wants to interfere with us experiencing more of God and a life in God and with God. But then there is also a resistance in me. There is a resistance in me. Because if I'm totally honest, I do struggle to trust that God is as good as he says he is. And that he is for me, not against me. That he is with me, not far from me. That he is in me. That he is close. I struggle to trust that God is as good as he says he is. 
And so can you see that there are two things at play here? There's both interference, the things that happen to us, and the resistance, the things in me, both myself, my ego, pride, fear, greed, you know, all of these different things that put me at arm's length from God to go, no, like either I like to do it my own way or God, you don't want to be a part of this. This is too messy. So there's the outer interference and there's the inner resistance to the life with God. Um, when I read the words of Jesus, the kind of life that he came to give, the availability of his kingdom and the invitation to know and experience him, his love, his wholeness, his life, I have found in me a great disparity. And I think that a key part of wrestling with that is identifying that, acknowledging that and going, Lord, I believe Help my unbelief. There is a disparity in me. Where is that coming from? Jesus, show, is it something outside of me or inside of me? Often, in fact, most of the time it's both. <laughs> I'm distracted by stuff, and I've also gone and trusted in a whole lot of other things that say they're God, but they're not. And I've got idols in my life. And Jesus is saying, Dave... <laughs> Experience my abundance, my wholeness. Let me dethrone those idols so that you can know just how good I am. Let go of control. You are not perfect. I am. That is what I need. That is what you need, <laughs> whether you know it right now or not. So I know that, as I was saying, there are many reasons that we experience an alternate reality to what Jesus promises to give. But I think that one of the biggest, if not the biggest, in our Western culture that is obsessed with efficiency and productivity and outcomes is that we are just too busy. Too busy doing things and too busy chasing things. I honestly think that this is, like, within our Western society that is, like, obsessed with accumulation and achievement, that we are just so busy that we miss out on the life of God. We're just so busy chasing stuff or doing stuff, even at times for Jesus, <laughs> that we miss out on the life that he came to give. And so if I know in me a disparity between the words of Jesus and my reality, then I'm guessing that it's not the words of Jesus that are misaligned, but my heart. Where am I going to for soul satisfaction? Where am I going to delight and enjoy myself? Where am I going to receive all that I need? Because when I really am honest with myself, I need a lot. Because I was created to be in connection with an eternal God who will never run out. And I need to be resourced by that. Him alone. Him alone. Um... Michael Zigarelli. Everybody say Zigarelli. Zigarelli. It's a fun name to say. Clearly, he's American-Italian. Um, a professor and author, um, he did a study on the things that keep us from experiencing life with God and growing in our relationship with him. And um, he finalized his findings in a title, uh, sorry, in an article titled, Distracted from God, a five-year worldwide study. That's a great title for a study, isn't it? Um, but I think he's really onto something that immediately he identifies the key thing or one of the key things within Western society that keeps us from experiencing the with God life rather than the for God life. 
the fact that he's inviting me to participate in his kingdom, not run his kingdom. Big difference right there. Just going to say that. To be available to him because he is available to me. I've become distracted by a whole lot of good things and a bunch of bad stuff as well, if I'm honest. And so he, he, he writes, firstly, he gathers a whole lot of data um, from all around the world. That's why he called it a five-year worldwide study. And this was his findings. This is how he landed his study. And I just wanted to read it this morning. He says this. It's going to come up on screen. Ah, so good. Um, in particular, it may be the case that, one, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to, two, God becoming more marginalized in Christian lives, which leads to, three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to, four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to, five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. And then the cycle begins again. So simple. And yet I feel like he is taking a look at my life and saying, Dave, you're too busy. <laughs> you're overloaded. You are caught up in hurry. And again, I'm not saying here, and I, need to, I think I need to do a quick disclaimer, that busyness is... is um, essentially wrong, but I think that if all we are and, and how we define ourselves as busy, then we've got a problem. If you, when people say, how are you, say busy, then I think there are some things out of place. If that is your go-to, because I've had to look at my life and notice that like for years, that was my go-to answer. So one, Christians are assimilating to a culture of hurry and busyness, um, to overload. Um, two, we're becoming more, uh, God is becoming more marginalized. Can you see the flow and effect of hurry? God is pushed out because we don't have time. Uh, which leads to three, a deteriorating relationship with God because it is a relationship. My marriage is as, is as successful as me putting time in with my wife, knowing her and asking her what she needs. <laughs> I can't have a great marriage if I neglect my marriage. It's the same with God. Four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live life. And I think this is important because secularism tells us that success um, looks like a full calendar. Success looks like carrying more responsibility than is actually yours. Success looks like, um, well, in a way, my life. If I was to define it based on secularism, secularism, I don't know why I'm tripping over that word right now. His findings, that is Michael um, Zigarelli, after five years of asking questions and gathering people's responses from 139 countries. So this wasn't a small study. He, he, tens of thousands in 139 countries, so this is not just America, found that people are simply distracted by a pace of life and a culture of hurry that leaves no time for being with God. No time for being with God. At the end of verse 9, um, 
we read, now remain in my love. This remaining is an intentional decision to continue to be present. You know how we're talking about that? Not just being at home, but being present to the ones who are home with you. To slow down, to sit down, to breathe, to be human, to acknowledge our limits, to rest long enough and regularly enough, not just, not just once, but regularly, for our souls to be loved by the Trinitarian community of a self-giving love that is God. But this takes time. Time is something that we often say we don't have enough of. But if we were to put more hours into the day, I'm pretty sure that I would just end up either working more or fitting in a few more Netflix episodes of the latest series I'm binging. It's got nothing to do with the amount of time I have. It's got everything to do with how I'm choosing to use that time. Am I being intentional? Am I seeking the presence of God? Am I leaning in? Do I truly believe he is good as he says he is? Is he the one I delight in? Or are there other things that I've fallen in love with other than him? John Mark Comer, very quick quote. Throws, it's just going to go up on the screen. Hurry and live, love are incompatible. Hurry and love are incompatible. I think that's so true. You cannot be in a hurry and love well. Impossible. Whenever have you been on the receiving end of somebody who's trying to move on to the next and you're trying to connect to them? Has that felt like a loving conversation? It just doesn't work. And so if we as a people are constantly in a hurry, then we are ruling out the time and space to be loved and to love. So family, are you filling your calendars up? Or are you letting Jesus have a look at them, say, these are good things, but maybe not so necessary. These are things that really need to go. And these are some things that I would love to put into your calendar so that you can be with me and experience me and connect with me. Dave loves a good calendar. <laughs> Richard Foster in his book, Prayer, Finding the Heart's True Home, writes this. This is quite a long quote, and I'm not sure if you're going to be able to see it. Sorry. There it is. Today, the heart of God is an open wound of love. He aches over our distance and preoccupation. He mourns that we do not draw near to him. He grieves that we have forgotten him. He weeps over our obsession with muchness and manyness. He longs for our presence, and he is inviting you and me to come home. To come home to where we belong. To come home to that for which we were created. His arms are stretched out wide to receive us. His heart is enlarged to take us in. For too long, we have been in a far country, a country of noise and hurry and crowds, a country of climb and push and shove, a country of frustration and fear and intimidation. And he welcomes us home, home to serenity and peace and joy, home to friendship and fellowship and openness, home to intimacy and acceptance and affirmation. This morning, family, you are, you are being invited home Will you go there? Because he is here. Will you open yourself to him? 
Let him have a look at your calendar. Let him say, that doesn't fit. It's taking too much of your time. To become present to God, to abide in and set up our home in, demands something radically countercultural. We must slow down for loving union with God. We cannot maintain this pace of life. It is a violence against our very souls. And we wonder why we are in a society that is crippled by anxiety and depression. It's because we are treating ourselves in a way they were never designed to be treated. To be dragged through life at a pace that they were not created for. There's an old, uh, there's a story of um, uh, pioneers. I think it was Dr. Livingston or one of his crew. You, like, I'll find the story if you really want to know about it. And he was leading an expedition through Africa. And he had some African tribesmen showing him where to go and how to go. And they spent several days, like, really pushing hard. And then they decided to set up camp. The next morning they woke. All the Brits were ready to go. The African tribesmen were sleeping in. When asked why they weren't ready to go, they said a very simple yet profound thing. We are waiting for our souls to catch up. We are waiting for our souls to catch up. Are you living a pace of life? Are you filling your life so much that your soul was long ago lost to the muchness, to the manyness, to the noise of a very busy society and culture? So what does slowing down look like for you? I think that's a great question that we ask and that we land on. What does slowing down look like for you? Very quickly, and because I don't want to just like leave you guys hanging, um, trying to figure this out, although you guys are super smart and I'm sure would be able to do. Three things that I've sought to build into my own life over the last two years especially. First one is slowing. Slowing down. Like actually intentionally deciding to live life slower. Driving in the slow lane. Keeping to the speed limit. I think that was a prophetic word for some of you. <laughs> because why are we driving so fast to get to somewhere? Granted, it might be because we're late, but we're late because we were trying to do too much. See the flow on effect. Hopping into an aisle that isn't self-checkout, but has a person that I will have to talk to and engage with. That is slowing down. It seems simple, but at the same time, it is deeply spiritual because it reminds you that you are a human being, not a human doing, and that you were made for a relationship to connect with people. So, Dave, slow down because your soul needs it. Sabbath. Laws and I, a couple of years ago, implemented a 24-hour period of Sabbath, Friday night to Saturday night. Are we good at keeping it? Mm, so-so. Are we learning how to do better? Eh, yep. Is Jesus meeting us in that place because we have decided to intentionally and actively carve out a time to rest and let him be king? <laughs> yeah, he is. Because the control freak in me, the perfectionist in me, needs that. 
I am not the king. I'm not in control. It is an illusion. Do you know that you roughly are in control of, at the highest, statisticians have figured this out, you are in control of as much as 7% of your life. That's the highest figure they could come up with. It's more likely between 4 and 5%. If that is the case, then I need to be connected to the one who is actually in control. And that's what Sabbath creates time for, to rest, to delight, to worship. Because I need him. And then finally, simplicity. Contentment in Jesus. We live in a culture of muchness and manyness, as we read from that quote. I need to stop chasing stuff. I don't need the next. I mean, sometimes I do. <laughs> car breaks down, you need, and like blows up or catches on fire. I don't know, whatever, you know, whatever happened to your car. Um, you probably need a new car. But do you need the nicest car? that maxes you out, that requires that you work more than you need to so that you can fund that new something that you just bought. I say that because I am challenged by these words. Contentment in Jesus, letting my soul be satisfied by him and him alone. I don't know how helpful that is. If you want to come and talk to me afterwards, please come and do that. I am more than happy to. But family, I'm going to end with this. Enjoy God, Fano. Enjoy him. Because he enjoys you. Taste and see that he is good. And if you haven't tasted lately or seen, it's probably because you're going too fast. Keep going back to his dining table to be refreshed, restored, and replenished by the God that lacks nothing. And we end with this. Make yourselves at home in his love. Receive it. Put yourself in a posture of receiving it. Do whatever it takes to be filled by him, to know his love for you, how unconditional and great it is, so that you would be filled up so that when we serve as a community, when we use our spiritual gifts, it is out of overflow and at no loss to our own souls. Family, I'm seeking to live a life that is more resourced by Jesus than me and other things. And it has been, like, groundbreaking. I have experienced chains being loosened In Jesus. Help us to taste and see that you are good. Realign us to your kingdom and to your way. The things that have been misplaced, be it trust or fear, whatever it is, those things that keep us from you within ourselves, show us what they are, that we would lay them before you as we sit at your feet. Help us to be still and to know that you are God and you are God alone. We long 
to experience more of your community, God, your, more of your kingdom. Help us to do that. Show us what that will take. Help us to slow down in a world that tells us that we are what we do. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Kia ora whanau.